You're listening to The Crossroad Podcast with Joey Willis. Through redefining effective leadership, The Crossroad Podcast explores what it means to live a life of intention and purpose. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of effective leadership and vibrant living. Hello and welcome back to The Crossroad Podcast. We are in Season 3, Episode 8. This episode is titled How to Win a Fight. Very excited to talk about this episode because I think conflict management, how to resolve conflict, how to just approach and deal with conflict is such a major aspect of what it takes to build an organizational culture. For those of you who listened to the first couple seasons, you're accustomed to hearing from both me and Kylie. And one of the things that we have learned kind of the hard way in our marriage, which is an organization organization is uh, the value and the opportunity and also the danger of conflict and how it can be a really great tool if you do it well and a, a really dangerous one if you use it poorly. And for any of you who who might happen to know Kylie and I, or I imagine you can even hear it in the first couple seasons, we're very different. We view the world very differently. Um, she's much more of a like go-getter, be productive, be efficient. And I'm much more of a go with the flow, just take things as they come type of person. And my goodness, that's just scratching the surface. Kylie and I are, are very different. And so conflict arises in our organization, our marriage, pretty often. And it's an important part in navigating the culture of an organization. It's an important aspect in determining what kind of or, what kind of organization, what kind of culture you are going to develop, you're going to build, what kind of organization you're going to be. And so today, what we're going to talk about, the way we're going to frame this is that a healthy culture is one in which there is an inherent value in seeking and sharing the truth. There's so much that goes on in in our cultures that has to do with us avoiding the truth. If I know that I've made a mistake, I will do a lot of things to maybe like avoid my boss at work or try to blame somebody else or just try to kind of cover it up and hope that nobody notices. And, you know, we've talked in episode one about how culture is the character of an organization. The same sort of thing happens internally. If I if I make a mistake, if I do something that kind of goes against my character, that isn't in alignment with the person that I want to become that isn't on mission for me as an individual, my first instinct is to hide. My first instinct is to try to cover it up, to try to pretend it isn't there, to try to go on as if nothing has happened. And sometimes I'm successful at that and sometimes I'm not. But the real tragedy is the general posture that I have towards avoiding truth. So I do that within my own character and it gets even more complicated when you introduce other players, other contributors, other participants within an organization. But this is essential. In order for us to thrive, In order for us to have healthy cultures, healthy organizations, we have to be willing to seek and share the truth. And seeking and sharing the truth is pretty easy when we all agree, when we're all on the same page. It's actually this phenomenon like an echo chamber that happens when everyone just sort of agrees and everyone's in some ways just so relieved or excited that they agree that it becomes this, uh, it can actually become a problem. It can create a blind spot. Everyone's just kind of clapping themselves on the back for how great they're doing and how wonderful their ideas are and and, and nobody is saying or noticing something obvious in the room that might be contrary to that. We, we like agreeing. Uh, we like coming together. And so when there's a truth that we agree on, it can be easy, sometimes too easy. But often we don't agree on the truth. We don't agree on what's right, what's best. Uh, we don't agree on whose fault it is. We don't agree on what's gone awry or, or what the solution to a problem might be. And that can be uh, real problematic in our organizations. It can cause fissures. It can cause... Uh, 
uh, factions. It can cause a dynamic where we become competitors rather than collaborators. And so what we really need in order to develop and build a healthy culture is to have a mental model for seeking and sharing the truth, uh, to develop a way, a framework in which we can think about conflict, the way it arises, and the way that we address it, uh, that can help propel us towards our mission rather than away from it. So here is a few reasons why, or, or a few ways that uh, conflict management or seeking and sharing truth, a few ways that those those types of things affect culture. The first thing is this, the way that we think about conflict, the way we perceive it, propels us to a certain kind of action. It's a structure. The way that we think about conflict is a structure. So if we think that all conflict is bad, then we're going to avoid conflict. We're going to do our best to, to rid ourselves of it. As we've mentioned numerous times, Kylie and I work at a school, and we one of the things I think I hear more often than not is people who are afraid of getting in trouble, either themselves or they're afraid of getting somebody else in trouble. In trouble is something our students are very, very afraid of. Uh, and the idea is that I, I don't want to be seen as lacking or wanting. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to make a mistake, which goes back to one of our previous episodes about perseverance and what that looks like. But if we have this mental model that conflict is bad, then we're going to avoid conflict. We're just, we're just, we are, we're just not going to do it. If the structure informs us that conflict is this dangerous and lethal thing, well, then of course that's going to lead to a certain behavior, avoidance. And, you know, generally speaking, this is how we operate. We don't like conflict. We don't feel comfortable in it. We don't feel particularly made for it or equipped for it. It feels loaded and, and negative. And so we avoid it and we just will. We just do. That's that's part of our human nature. Here's the, the rare exception for when human beings will, will engage in conflict. We engage in conflict when we feel like our mission is at stake. So when the vision that we have imagined for ourselves or for our organization is under attack, then we'll step into conflict. We will fight that obstacle. Uh, we will come against it. We will put ourselves in conflict with it. So in some ways, we could say this. What we choose to engage in conflict over reveals what we believe the mission to be. So if somebody says something negative about me, and you see this in reality TV shows, and I'm sure you see it in dynamics at work and home and everywhere else, if somebody says something negative about me, then I'm going to engage in conflict with them. I'm not going to, quote unquote, let them get away with that, right? And what that reveals is that a negative perception of me uh, is in direct conflict with my mission, which is another way of saying that my mission is about people perceiving me well. And so when people don't perceive me well, when they're gossiping about me or when there's some sort of negative thing that is being said or portrayed about me, then I will enter into conflict because it is a direct attack on the mission. And so again, and all of this comes back to the idea that a dysfunctional organization is an organization with multiple and divisive missions. So if I show up to work and I think that the mission of, of the day is for me to be affirmed and my coworker shows up and thinks that the mission of the day is for her to be affirmed, well, then that's how we're going to measure what is true. That's how we're going to measure what we're willing to engage in conflict with. That perception is going to create a structure that demands behavior. It's going to lead us into certain 
attitudes and actions. Uh, and those actions and attitudes are going to shape our dynamic, our interpersonal dynamic and the culture of the organization to which we belong. So all of this, the perception of conflict that we take into our organizations is just this powder keg that uh, is loaded with things that are going to affect and influence the culture that we create in our organizations. The second reason that uh, the way we perceive conflict matters in terms of affecting culture is, as I just mentioned with my imaginary coworker, we're, we're teammates. And so how we collide, how we interact is a huge part of our here. It's a huge part of our current reality. The way that I relate to Kylie, the way that we engage in conflict with one another is a, is a big part of where we are. So if their here path is the framework of life and we have a mission which is a there, then uh, the way that we behave in conflict and the way that we address conflict, and I keep using conflict, but maybe I should start saying the way that we seek and share the truth or don't seek and share the truth together is going to be a huge part of are here. And I use this illustration all the time, but if 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 I'm trying to get somewhere uh, in the Northeast, if I'm trying to get to New York City, and I think that my here is that I'm in Texas, but my real here is that I'm in California, well, I'm going to end up in like Calgary or something because I'm going to take a, a trajectory and I'm going to end up at a place that I didn't plan to end up and it's going to be very confusing. So seeking and sharing the truth is an important aspect of naming our here, of evaluating where we really are. And we've got to do that with honesty uh, and with candor in order to be able to pursue our mission effectively. The last thing that I'll say in terms of how does this affect culture is that uh, these moments of, of conflict, this crossroad where uh, truth seems uncertain or difficult to accept or, or understand, those moments are always a key turning point in developing culture. When you get to a place uh, of obstacle, the way that you handle it will often determine whether or not you're dealing with a cliff or you're dealing with a climb. Uh, and so if, if you come to conflict and you handle it poorly, it can be a cliff. And we all assume it's always a cliff, but the truth is conflict is a neutral entity. It's the way we react to it that makes it a positive or a negative gain towards our mission. So if we deal with conflict in a negative way, if we refuse to take the opportunity to seek and share truth, it will become a cliff and it'll knock us down a peg and it'll you know hurt somebody uh, and become something that is a detriment to the fulfillment of our mission rather than an asset. Now, on the other hand, if we if we encounter conflict, if we encounter the opportunity to seek and share truth, and we do that well, it can actually be a climb. It can be a huge opportunity for us to gain some ground. Uh, when Kylie and I, we love to hike, right? So we go to national parks and like to take hikes. And, and lately, what we've been doing is kind of looking into the day hike that is most feasible for us. So how far can we get in a day uh, to get out and back without putting ourselves in any sort of danger and still enjoying the experience? And there's one hike we were looking at last summer that had this big elevation gain. And I have a broken ankle. I mean, it's relatively fixed. There's a lot of robotics and uh, plates and screws and stuff inside of it, but uh, it's not, not operating the way it was designed to. And so the elevation gain can be really challenging for me. And we got to this one, this one point, uh, uh, where there was this really kind of steep climb, this really steep area where you were going up quickly. 
And man, it was tough. It was awful. But by the time we got to the top of it, we had made a real significant progress to the top of uh, the elevation. And so in some ways, as tough as that space was, it made the space after it a little bit easier. So conflict can be that way. It can be a bit of a steep incline, but if we do it well, if we traverse that, if we navigate it together, it can bind us, it can build our culture, and it can help us to pursue our mission. It can it can help us to, there's nothing like doing conflict well that binds people together and that helps propel us towards our mission. And so that's why conflict can be a good thing for us. It can be a healthy thing. And the other thing, and maybe this has been implied in a lot of what I said, but I feel like I should mention it directly, is conflict is just unavoidable. There there are going to be times where we're not sure uh, what the truth is and we have to get into seeking and sharing it together. And we're going to have some disagreements on what that looks like or what it means or or how it came to be or whatever. Conflict is unavoidable. If you're pursuing anything worth pursuing, you're going to have some difficulty. When we talk about the project mood curve, especially with students, I often say to them, like, none of you have someone in your life that you really love, that you haven't been through some mess together. The idea of the project mood curve is that conflict is inevitable, that there is going to be a time when reality doesn't meet expectation. And when that happens, we've got to figure out how we're going to deal with this inevitability. And if we are so terrified of that inevitability that we try to recreate and reshuffle reality uh, to exclude it, that we're also going to reshuffle and reorient ourselves away from the truth of our mission and away from our ability to be effective. And uh, and as much as we might try to scramble and as much as we might superficially find some sort of way to, to kind of ignore the conflict, it's going to manifest in some way, somehow, at some point in time. And so if conflict is inevitable, how do we face it? How do we deal with it? What's a good framework for us to seek and to share truth together, even and perhaps especially when the seeking and sharing of truth can be hard and can be awkward? Um, Our boss often says, truth is an acquired taste. And as much as we talk about wanting it, there are times when uh, it's counter to what we desire, to what's simplest, to, to what we thought was true 10 minutes before. And so in order to have the courage to seek and share the truth, we've got to have a clarity of mission and we've got to have a framework around truth sharing and around conflict that sees all of it as the opportunity that it is, the opportunity for a net gain towards our mission. So when it comes to conflict, I'm going to give you three things that we talk about with the crossroad for how to think about conflict and how to think about seeking and sharing the truth with one another. The first thing that I'm going to talk about is framing the conflict. Uh, And so, you know, our emotions are really powerful, and we'll talk about this in a future episode, but the power of our emotions is that they let us know that our values are being pressed, right? And like I said before, that's when you you are willing to step into conflict when something that matters to you is suddenly on the line. And what is difficult is that if we don't know what our values are and if we don't know what our mission is, then the emotions that are triggering an awareness of those become the mission and the value in and of themselves. And so instead of saying, okay, my emotions are telling me that something valuable is at stake, what we start to think is like, okay, my my emotions are the value. And in order to resolve the conflict, I've got to get myself feeling better. 
I've got to get this emotion to the place that I need it to be. And so when we frame conflict in that way, what we are often doing is pitting ourselves or our emotional state over and against someone else. And so this is how you get a lot of terrible things within marriages or within parent-sibling or uh, parent-child dynamics and any other place that humans are interacting where you try to hurt somebody so that they feel what you're feeling. And there's this weird idea that we have that if they feel what I'm feeling, then that'll transfer to them and the conflict will be resolved. I'll be able to feel better because they feel worse and it's a zero-sum game and that will be the solution. That'll be the thing that gets us there. So if we frame conflict in this sort of way, uh, it's going to inform the way that we act. So when we talk about, in terms of framing conflict, we talk about seeking and sharing the truth. There are four ways that we talk about framing truth, uh, the pursuit of truth and, and sharing it within a culture, within an organization. The first is to, the first step is to start with the facts, to just name just empirically true things. You know, did you show up late to work today? Uh, did you agree that this was the dress code for the office? Um, did we say that you and I were going to meet at 10 o'clock uh, to have brunch together? Those sorts of things establish the facts. It establishes the truth. The second step is to give the story. You know, why were you late to work? Why didn't you show up to brunch on time? Why aren't you in dress code? Like, hear the story. The story is going to help inform the facts. But what happens so often is that we flip those two and we start with our story and then we address the facts in in the shadow of the story that we've told. So when we lead with the story, the story is the king and the facts um, come into obedience to the story. One of the things I think is so true is that we measure ourselves by our intention and others by their actions. And so we will start with like, well, I was late today, but I have a lot going on and I really, you know, whatever. Or we might just say, I have a lot going on. I didn't know what time it was. And I, you know, I got here pretty soon. It was pretty close to, to the time I was supposed to be here and whatever it is. And so we lead with the story and the story ends up driving the facts. And we see this in media and popular culture all over the place today. We talk about fake news and alternative facts. And there's all these sorts of things because what we're doing is we're leading with the story and the facts only matter insofar as they support the story that has been told. So if we want to be a culture that is seeking and sharing the truth, we've got to flip that framework and start with the facts, establish the facts, put those stakes in the ground, let the story support the facts rather than the other way around. Because the story does matter. It is extremely essential. But if the story eclipses the facts, well, then we have gone away from truth and we've gotten into fairy tale land. And, and the, I mean, that sounds flippant and maybe harsh, but the truth is we'd rather live in our false realities than face the complexities and difficulties of truth as it stands. And so if we want to really be an organization that thrives, we've got to have the courage to face the truth as it stands and to Allow our stories to inform that and to inform our responses to it and inform all the things uh, about moving forward. But we cannot continue to do this thing where we avoid what's real for the sake of what we wish was was real. So we start with the facts. Uh, we, we tell the story and then we come up with a plan. Uh, what do we do moving forward? So if Kylie and I get in, get in an argument about, uh, you know, agreeing to a certain thing and it doesn't it doesn't happen and you know we established that it didn't happen 
happen the way we had hoped and we talk about the reasons why it's important for us to move into like okay how do we move forward from that how do what do we do to to be better next time what do we do to come into agreement what's our plan how do we get back on the path towards our mission and then the fourth element is a feedback loop so that we're checking in with one another a lot of times we're in such a rush to resolve conflict that we just want to get it over with uh, especially in the moment and so we try to kind of hurry through our plan Um, our emotions are still high we can't really help that and so we've got to create a feedback loop that continues to remind ourselves of the opportunity to grow and the opportunity to be better and to hold ourselves accountable to following through with that so this is the framework for seeking and sharing truth facts story plan feedback in that order (laughs) Uh, if we do that together as an organization it will go so far in developing the kind of culture that we need and the kind of culture that we desire in order to produce the kind of results we want to produce. The second thing that I'll say about framing the conflict, so we're still on number one of three, but one uh, B, I guess, and this has been vital for Kylie and I, a huge part of framing conflict is answering this question, who is the enemy? Who are we fighting against? Uh, Kylie and I were watching this show a couple of years ago as one of those newlywed or, or marriage shows where they ask both partners a question and they have to like write down the answer and then on three we'll show it and if you match you get a point and one of the questions that was asked was who won your last fight and when the husband and the wife each wrote down their answer and when they spun it around they both boards said the same thing both boards said me Uh, And they didn't get a point for that, which is funny because they literally wrote the exact same thing on on the card. What is interesting about that is that when we think about conflict, we think about the person that we're staring across as the enemy. So in our marriage, it is very easy when we disagree for me to think of Kylie as the enemy. But here is the deeper truth and a more healthy framework for who the enemy is when you engage in in conflict. When you engage in conflict, the enemy isn't the person person that you're dealing with. The enemy is falsity. The enemy is the cliff, the thing that's going to be an obstacle to your mission. So if Kylie and I were on this game show and someone were to ask us, who won your last fight? We would probably write the same thing. I hope we would. Uh, We would flip over our cards and both cards would say, we, we did. Because the way, the framework that Kylie and I use for fighting in our marriage is we are not fighting against one another. We are teammates. We are are together. We're fighting against something, some external threat to our mission. And what we've got to do is figure out what that threat is, what that obstacle to mission is, and address it. This has been huge in our marriage because no longer is it one of us wins, one of us loses. What it is now is that we are invited to be on the same team. We are reminded that we are on the same team and that our goal and the real value of engaging in conflict is to figure out a deeper sense of truth together. Uh, and it doesn't matter like which one of us was the one responsible for the obstacle. None of that actually matters. What matters is finding, naming the obstacle and moving forward, developing a plan together so that we can more effectively pursue our mission. So when you talk about framing conflict, start with the seeking and sharing of truth uh, in order, fact, story, plan, feedback. And second, start with the framework of who is the enemy? What are we really fighting against? It's so infrequently just another person. Uh, It can... 
is often, you know, even if it's a stranger, it's often just like what that person represents. And that is such a huge distinction because it gives you an opportunity to actually work with all people uh, towards a united mission and to find some common ground and to move forward and to reframe this in, from a boxing match into something much more collaborative. Okay, so that's the first key. Framing the conflict is the first key uh, to navigating the best ways to seek and share truth in an organization. The second is to take ownership of yourself first. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but for me, it's really strange that sometimes somebody that, like a friend of mine, someone in my sphere of influence, uh, has some personality quirks or some things that are maybe not great about them. And it doesn't bother me that much. I mean, it's not, I recognize it, but sometimes I kind of, maybe I'll even laugh about it or joke about it, but it's not that big of a deal. Uh, And then there's some friends who have just maybe the smallest little quirks and they drive me absolutely insane. And for a long time, I've noticed this dynamic and I started to wonder like why is it that like there may be something that my mom does that's not great that I can just kind of shrug at and be like you know she's trying but then there's some things that my mom does that just absolutely drive me crazy and I can't seem to let it go and every time it happens it seems like this massive big deal and what I've noticed is that the ones that bother me uh the things that bother me and other people often bother me because I realize that there is some semblance of the same problem alive in me. It's familiar. And so I am disgusted by it and I hate it, not because someone else is doing it, but because I recognize that there are elements of myself being guilty of the same thing. If someone's doing something that just seems so foreign to me and is not a temptation of mine and not something that I particularly struggle with, I'm much more apt to let it roll off my shoulders or to give them a benefit of the doubt. But when people are showing signs of a sin that I am also struggling with, I want so badly to hold them accountable as a projection against wanting to really hold myself accountable. So all of that to say that when we are dealing with conflict, if you find yourself really riled up by someone who uh, seems too apathetic, it might be because you feel deep down as though you're apathetic and you don't want to be apathetic. You want to stand up and fight for truth. And so recognizing that we've got to take ownership of our self first. There are four, There are, well, there's two reasons while people do things, you can look at the crossroad.net for a really great image that we have of this. The two reasons we do things are some cross-section of motivation and ability. We can and we will. Uh, That's kind of where you want to be. You can't and you won't. So you have no motivation, no ability is, you know, the worst of both both avenues. But then there can be a mix. I want to do something, but I don't have the ability to do it. Or I have the ability to do it, but I have no motivation, no desire. Uh, So what is really helpful if you go to the crossroad and find those four squares is being able to identify which of those squares am I in as an individual? Am I doing the best that I can or am I not? And if I'm not, why? Is it because of a lack of motivation or is it because of a lack of ability? And by holding myself accountable first, it uh, acknowledges that, you know, I am not perfect and I don't have a monopoly on what the right thing to do is or what the truth is. And we've got to have that posture in order 
to engage in truth and resolve conflict effectively. And so there, there is, it's just human nature when you enter into conflict to assume that you're right. But let's take that assumption to test before we start hurling darts or fiery arrows at our compatriots. Start with taking ownership of what you can do. Uh, one of our mentors, Dave, will often say like, okay, maybe maybe this thing, maybe this problem, this uh, conflict that's going on, maybe it's 90% the other person's fault. What if it's just 10% your fault? What if it's 5%? What if it's 1%? What can you do uh, to address the part of it that you can address? Because at the end of the day, you, you, know, you can't address the part that someone else is responsible for, but you can address the parts that you're responsible for. So, you know, it's difficult to say this because it sounds oversimplified and it sounds a little bit dreamy, but if you want to know how to build an effective culture, this is the reality. An effective culture, with especially when it comes to seeking and sharing the truth, is only going to happen when everybody takes ownership of themselves first and holds themselves accountable before they hold other people accountable. And as soon as I say that, there are lots of you, and I, you know, if I were listening to this um, from your perspective, I would probably find myself thinking the same thing. You hear that and you think to yourself, yep, Jim should really start taking ownership of himself first. Uh, yeah, Julie really struggles with what this guy is talking about right now. No, I'm talking to you. You've got to take ownership of yourself. You've got to take ownership of the things that you can control before you start holding people accountable for the things uh, that are outside of, of your control. Because again, so much of the way that we try to resolve conflict is we try to blame shift, we try to push it off to other people. And that's not seeking and sharing truth. That is shifting and uh, hurling blame. And those are two very different endeavors. And those two different endeavors go a long way to determine what kind of culture your organization is going to have. The third and last thing that I'll mention in terms of keys to how to navigate conflict uh, is to be aware of different conflict resolution styles. Um, There are a lot of different ways that we can resolve conflict. And as I've said in a few different ways throughout this episode, resolving conflict is not about a personal win, and it's not about feeling good, and it's not even about everybody agreeing. Conflict resolution uh, has the same goal that seeking and sharing truth in general does. It's about what is best for the mission. Resolution is coming to some sort of consensus on what is best for the mission moving forward. And so when we turn it into something else, when we turn it into, you know, personality conflicts, or we turn it into, uh, trying to satisfy or redeem a certain emotion, then we undermine its effectiveness. So we've got to start with the goal of conflict resolution being determining what is best for the mission moving forward. When we talk about conflict resolution, there's a lot of, a lot more on this in the crossroad.net. But there are five general types of styles for the way that we engage in conflict. The first is compete. You know, you, you box one another. There can be only one winner. It's a Highlander approach to competition or to conflict resolution. You know, Kylie, this is her kind of natural conflict resolution style. She's just a fighter from, from the get-go. As soon as something happens, she's fighting. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that, not the least of which she spent a lot of time in her childhood fighting to be heard. So she's learned that behavior. Uh, and so that, but that's one way. And it can 
be an effective way. It's not a bad thing all the time. It has all of these styles have their advantages and their pitfalls. The second is avoidance. You know, avoidance is, is where you just kind of like leave the room. You just refuse to engage. You you get out of it. A lot of people who value harmony are avoiders. Uh, and the danger of that is that it creates a false harmony. Um, not addressing conflict is not the same thing as resolving it. The third type is accommodation, which is basically the opposite of competing. It's where you just say like, look, I'll lose. I'll take this one for the team. I'll just not fight. Which, you know, there are things, there are times and places where that can be valuable. Uh, but it also, you know, sometimes people need to hear your side of things and the case that you're going to make in order to find the best best path, in order to find what is best for the mission. And so if you refuse to engage, uh, that can be a problem. The fourth type is compromise. It's where, you know, I win a little, Kylie wins a little, I lose a little, Kylie loses a little. It's like when we can't agree on uh, where to go to dinner one night, a compromise might be, all right, Kylie goes to dinner, or we go to dinner where Kylie wants tonight, and we go to dinner where Joey wants next week. Uh, and so each of us gets, you know, what we want, but also each of us has to go to the other one also. Uh, so it's a little bit of, of give and take from all parties involved. Um, and then the last one is is kind of the most effective most of the time, which is collaboration. Uh, this is sort of the synergy of effort. Uh, it's where we find a way to take what's true about my perspective, what's true about Kylie's perspective. We find the common thread and we sort of synergize solutions and resolutions based on the deeper truth of all of the things that are on the table. So again, these five styles are the ways that we engage in conflict. And one way for us to effectively um, navigate conflict is to understand which of these five styles comes naturally to us, because whichever one comes most naturally to us, whichever one we're most practiced in is where we're going to gravitate towards at first. But then to ask ourselves the deeper question of which of these five styles is most effective for determining what is best for the mission and resolving the conflict towards that end. So all of this to say that uh, seeking and sharing truth grounded in mission is essential for developing a healthy culture. When we're talking about mental models, tools, frameworks for building culture within an organization, there is nothing more key than a commitment to seeking and sharing the truth together. Thank you for listening to the Crossroad Podcast. The world is out there waiting for you to become the best leader you can possibly be. We hope our conversations have helped. For more, please visit our website, thecrossroad.net.